for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. One preacher titled a sermon on this passage, Love Slaves, and put it on their sign in the front of a church. Don't you wonder how many people they had in worship that Sunday? (laughs) Through love, become slaves to one another. That is one challenging mandate. Paul is interpreting the teachings of Jesus, the one who set him free from the law, for leading non-Jews to hope through Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to new Christians in Galatian churches who are still trying to figure out what this whole Christianity thing means. He's trying to help them more deeply understand the freedom that Christ has provided for them and then the direction in which that freedom points them. Freedom means we have choices. Now, some things happen to us that are not our choice. John F. Kennedy was once asked how he became a a war hero, and he responded, it was entirely involuntary. Someone sank my boat. You're in a car in a traffic light, and someone rear-ends you. You're a great employee, but your company downsizes and you lose your job. You continue to face challenges in your life today because of your home life as a child. These are things that we cannot change. Our circumstances, our experiences, these can limit our freedom. They define who we are. They define our immediate emotional reactions. But circumstances and experiences do not define us completely. They do not prescribe how we choose to respond to certain situations. Daily, we decide what we are going to do with the freedoms that are available to us. Not long after a wealthy contractor had finished building the Tombs prison in New York, he was found guilty of forgery and sentenced to several years in the prison he had built. As he was escorted into a cell of his own making, the contractor said, I never dreamed when I built this prison that I would be an inmate one day. Paul's long list of vices uh, reminds us of the ways that we imprison ourselves. Like that contractor, sometimes we use our freedom for self-indulgence. We don't intend to go off on a dark or illegal path. We think, well, just this once won't hurt, or it will be different for me. Gary Richmond, a former zookeeper, said that raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months. And after that, they often attack their owners. 
And since a 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a scrap, Gary felt compelled to mention this to his young friend Julie, who had a raccoon as a pet. And Julie listened politely as he explained the coming danger. And he said he would never forget her answer. She said, it will be different for me. And she smiled as she added, Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. And then three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for the facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Bandit was released into the wild. But it relates to these works of the flesh, as Paul calls them, which often come dressed in an adorable guise, just like a baby raccoon. And then we play with them and we enjoy them. And then it's easy to say, it will be different for me. But the results are predictable. Here's Paul's list. The works of the flesh, he says, contrasting flesh and spirit. The works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. You'd think he could have stopped before then, but he could go on, it sounds like. Mark Douglas says that Paul's problem with the flesh is not that it desires. We all have desires, but that its desires become disordered. It wants the wrong things, or it wants good things in the wrong way, usually too much or too little. And he says, disordered desires enslave us to our passion. Christ calls us to be slaves of God. And then, of course, as Paul writes, and through love, slaves to one another. Now, I don't like this word slaves. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's just uncomfortable for me. Phillips Brooks wrote that no person in this world, he said, no man, I change it to no person. No person in this world attains to freedom from any slavery except by entrance into some higher servitude. There is no such thing as an entirely free man conceivable. And so, possibly knowing that, that's when Paul writes, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. I heard a song on the radio this week that I felt fit in with this sermon. It's by Corey Amos. It's Tori Amos, sorry. It's called Crucify. And the, the two sentences that struck me the most, she says, I've been looking for a Savior in these dirty streets, looking for a Savior beneath these dirty sheets. And then it goes on, I've been raising up my hands, drive another nail in, just what God needs, one more victim. Why do we crucify ourselves? Every day I crucify myself. Nothing I do is good enough for you. Crucify myself 
every day, and my heart is sick of being in chains. Is your heart sick of being in chains? Only when our hearts are sick of being in chains of these desires of the flesh can we begin seeking and finding the freedom in Christ. It's a choice each of us has to make for ourselves. Parents try to make choices for their children, and once they get to be adults, it doesn't work. Partners cannot make choices like this for each other. Friends can drop hints, but only we will decide when we will make a change. Sue Monk Kidd wrote an article in a a journal called Weavings. It's a journal of the Christian spiritual life. And she wrote it in the journal called Availability about making ourselves free to be used by God. And so I'll describe this. Most of these are her words, but I wanted to um, try to tell it from an outsider's perspective because I, I guess I'm telling it how I read it. Um, it was a bitter January night. The Atlanta airport was closing due to an impending ice storm, and so she would be unable to fly home to South Carolina. Rather than sleep in a plastic chair in the airport, she called her brother-in-law, who lived outside of Atlanta, and he told her which train to take and which station was closest to his house and said that he'd try to make it there to pick her up. Try. She sighs so audibly that people turn to stare. She gets on the train, and on the long ride, uh, she watches people get off at each stop until there are only three people left in her car. Across from her on the train sits a middle-aged woman. And for the first time, kid looks at her and notices, notices that she's crying. And as the woman wipes tears with the back of her hand, her gaze lingers on kid's face. She has on her face a look of ache and searching. And the woman is asking for kid's attention. She wants her to fling open her heart and take her in. Kid writes that she feels sad for her, but what can she do? What are her choices? She writes, the middle-aged woman is carrying her own little holocaust, and I can't fix it. My inhibitions rise sharply, sharply, then blend into tiredness, anxieties about the storm, disappointment at not going home. I look away from her, retreating into the murmur of the train, quietly, uncomfortably, unavailable. During the next two days, the ice storm continues, and Kid sits ensconced in her brother-in-law's den, watching snow and ice build a crystal fortress outside the window. She thinks entirely too much about the woman on the train and says that she's like a song on the radio that gets stuck in your head, plays over and over, sort of like vacation Bible school songs, come to think of it. 
The second night, the woman on the train comes powerfully into kids' dreams. Again, she is sitting across from kid, but this time they're in a rowboat. The tears gush over the tiny precipices of her eyelids like waterfalls. The boat is filling up with this sad water, and Kid realizes that if she doesn't do something, they both will sink. She tries bailing the tears, but that gets them nowhere, and the woman keeps crying. And finally, Kid stops, and she stares into the woman's irrepressible eyes. When she does, the tears start to dry up. But if Kid looks away, they start again. She wakens from this dream with solemn wonder, reunited with an old truth. People with profound human needs and suffering do not, as she has half imagined and half wished, travel in a boat separate from her. In ways she has scarcely appreciated, we are all in the same boat, and that she can't be unavailable to someone else's suffering without jeopardizing her own soul. We will sink together, or we will float together. Jump back to Paul. The whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the worst way, Sue Monk Kidd wants to live that train ride over. Live by the Spirit, Paul says. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit. They're in a battle. What the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. These are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Things like idolatry, jealousy, anger, factions, and envy. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. There's no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, if we do, that's our choice, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Now, that long first list that Paul gives is that type of list which wasn't uncommon in the Greco-Roman world. Plato and Aristotle had created such lists. But, you know... I said this last night. If that, you know, we, we all fall into that list somewhere. And if only the people who don't fall into that list inherit the kingdom of God, can you imagine how quiet the kingdom of God is going to be? 
Nobody. Nobody. So I think, like for Sue Montkid and her story, those are sometimes starting points when we experience that whole list of vices that Paul gives us. We go through those, and then we start to realize that that's not where we find salvation. Not on the streets, not in the sheets, not in envy, jealousy, drunkenness, carousing. That's not where it is. The joy, the life we find is in the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, all those. So it's kind of like a diving board where we realize that, you know, we don't want to be on the land anymore because that's difficult. It's not right. And so we get on the diving board. We jump into the pool and we feel how refreshing it is to notice then the joy of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. This week, the front of our bulletin is different. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm going to ask you to close your bulletin and find the front. The church covenant was created, I haven't figured out when. Maybe in 1891, when the whole congregation came together, some of the language is sort of archaic, and it, so you think it's, it's been a few years But I want to highlight just a few of the things that, as a covenant, we have said that we would do. Um, I'm jumping into the third paragraph. All of these are actions. We engage to strive together to promote this church's prosperity and spirituality, to sustain, to contribute, to maintain family and secret devotion in the fourth paragraph to religiously educate our children, like with Vacation Bible School, to seek the salvation of others, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just, to be faithful, to be exemplary in the things that we do, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We engage to watch over one another, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to be slow to take offense, always ready for reconciliation, to be mindful of the rules of our Savior and to secure reconciliation without delay. Now, if we spent all of our time doing those, we wouldn't have time for envy or drunkenness or carousing or licentiousness or debauchery or all those other things. You know, this is that's why... Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit. If we engage in those things and and these that are described in our church covenant as some of the fruit of the Spirit as well, we're not going to have time for the other things. And how much fuller will our lives be and will the lives of others be when we use our freedom to help them see what freedom is as well? The Spirit helped Sue Monk Kidd to become more available to other people. The Spirit helps us, too, as we open ourselves to listening and following Jesus' Spirit and that call for us. And so I invite us to a moment of quiet prayer, to listen for the Spirit to speak to you and guide you in the ways of Christ. Let's pray together.
God of love, we thank you for brightening our lives with your presence and with your strength and with your courage. Guide us as we seek to follow the Spirit in the ways of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.